In Leviticus, the 17th chapter, the 11th verse, in the Old Testament, God speaks and He says, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The life of the flesh, the life of an animal or the life of a being is in its blood. And God is saying, I have given the blood to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So why is the blood so important? Why is the shedding of blood so significant? God says the life is in the blood. And it is the blood that has the power to make an atonement for the soul. What does it mean? God's justice, God's law demands that for sin, there has to be death. Because the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, according to God's law, according to God's justice, must die. The soul that sin, sins must die. The wages of sin is death. Whenever there is the shedding of blood, it indicates to us that a death has occurred. Because the life is in the blood. So when blood is spilled, when blood is shed, it says a death has taken place. Which means now atonement can be made for that sin. Because that sin has been paid for. A death has occurred for that sin. Amen. So it is the blood that has the power or the capacity, the ability to make atonement for the soul. In fact, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Sin cannot be pardoned. It cannot be canceled without the shedding of blood. Because when blood is shed, it says a death has occurred. And that satisfies the demands of God's justice. Forgiveness and mercy and pardon can now be extended. Cleansing. God can now declare the guilty forgiven, justified. And there can be reconciliation. Atonement simply means to, to, uh, to appease, to cover the sin. To appease the sin, to cancel, cleanse and forgive. And eventually to bring back reconciliation. So it is the blood that has the capacity, the ability to bring about a cleansing for sin. Because it says a death has occurred, a life has been given. This sin can now be pardoned. What I want us to do now is just to look Look in the Old Testament and try to understand how the blood was used in the Old Testament. Get an understanding of the significance of the blood in the Old Testament. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they made themselves a covering of leaves, thinking that they need to hide their nakedness, and they, they try to hide from God. And God came on the scene. He exposed Adam and Eve. Uh, he pronounced His verdict. He pronounced His judgment. But here's what God did, something very, very notable. In Genesis, the third chapter, 21st verse, the Bible says that God brought a cloak of skin for both Adam and his wife and covered their nakedness. That is very significant because for God to bring this cloak or this, this garment of skin, it means that God was the first one to kill an animal on the earth. And the very first time animals were killed on the earth was for this purpose. 
It was to bring a covering for sin. Amen. And God did it. He killed the animals. He took their skin and he brought it to Adam and Eve saying, here is going to be your covering. Instituting in the very beginning that for sin, atonement can only be made through the giving up of a life, through sacrifice. The very first offering that was offered up to God, Abel brought his offering. It was a sacrifice. He brought off the first of his animals. And he worshipped God with it. And the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered up this sacrifice and God accepted that. Noah, as soon as he went through the flood and came out of the, the ark, the first thing he did was to take of the animals and offer up a sacrifice to God. Animals, sacrifice to God, all with the shedding of blood. The covenant that God made with Abraham is very, very amazing. In Genesis, the 15th chapter, God wakes Abraham in the middle of the night. And he says, Abraham, I want you to look at the stars and, and, and just look at how, how numerous they are. I'm going to make your descendants like them. And Abraham says, God, you know, uh, how will I know this for sure? And in the middle of the night, God tells Abraham, go bring a, a calf. Go bring a, a, a bull, a calf, a she-goat and two birds. Cut them in the middle. And right there, Abraham does that. He puts it on an altar. And the Bible says that God passes through in between the cut pieces of these animals. Establishing what the Bible from then on calls a covenant. God says, Abraham, I am establishing my covenant with you. How? I am passing between these two pieces of these animals that have been slain. I am passing between them and I'm establishing my word. The Hebrew for covenant is simply kafar, which means to cut. Covenant is always established in the Old Testament through the shedding of blood. The Abrahamic covenant is so significant because only God passed through the pieces. Abraham didn't. Meaning saying, God is saying, I am the sole one who's establishing this covenant with you, Abraham. There's no nothing from your side. I am going to be the keeper of this covenant. I am the one who establishes this covenant and I'm the one who will keep this covenant. God passes through the pieces of the, of, of the animals and establishes the covenant with Abraham. And so we see that even the covenant that was made, the Abrahamic covenant, was done through the shedding of blood. In the book of Exodus, the 24th chapter, when God wants to establish the Mosaic covenant with the people, in Exodus 24, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. He brings all the words of the covenant, that all the things God had spoken. He comes and he speaks to the people and he says, these are all the words that God has spoken to you. And then he takes a sacrifice. He collects the blood in, in a basin. He sprinkles some of the blood towards God. And then he takes some of the blood and he sprinkles it on the people. And he says, by this, God is establishing his covenant with thee. All these words that I have spoken are going to be ratified as a covenant with you. Because I've sprinkled this blood on you. So a covenant was established with people through the sprinkling of blood. Even in the Old Testament. In the temple, in Exodus 29, when the utensils of the temple, when the high priest and the priest serving in the temple, when they had to be dedicated to serve the Lord, once again, they were dedicated with blood. An animal was killed, the blood was taken, and was applied on the 
the right ear, the right toe, and the, the right thumb, and the right toe of the priest, and they were consecrated, they were dedicated. All the utensils and all the items in the temple were dedicated, consecrated with blood. The blood was very significant in, in, in the offering for sin, as God instituted in Leviticus, the fourth chapter. And as he said, you know, here's what you must do. If anyone sins, if the high priest sins, if anybody sins, here's what you must do. You need to bring an offering, either a bullock or a goat or a dove or whatever. You bring an offering and the offering is, the animal is killed and the blood was poured down at the altar. And that became a sin offering. And God said, I will pardon the sins of the people. So the blood was again used when it came to, uh, came, as a, came to make offerings for sin. There are three highlights that I want to just focus in on as, as we look in the Old Testament and look at the blood in the Old Testament. The first one is that of the Passover lamb that you read in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. And many of us are familiar with what happened. This was the last night that God's people were going to be in slavery. They had been in slavery for 400 years in the land of Egypt. And God had been sending Moses to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And, Moses, and Pharaoh would not let God's people go. And God said, tonight is the night. Tonight will be your last night in the land of Egypt. It's your night of deliverance. Tomorrow you're going to be out of this land, out of bondage, and walking towards your land of freedom, your land of promise. But I want you to do something tonight. Moses said, each one of you, for every house, go get a lamb, either of a goat or a sheep. Get a lamb. You kill the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb. Apply it on the side posts and on the lintel of your house. Make sure you do it. And then you roast the lamb and you eat it as a family. Because tonight, Moses said, an angel of death, a destroyer, a plague will pass through the land. Will go through the land. And every firstborn child will be killed. But, he said, if you apply the blood on the doorposts of your house, God will see the blood and God will stand in front of your door. And will, he will pass over you. He will pass over the door of your house. And he will prevent the angel of death from entering in. Now, didn't God already know all the people who already belonged to him? He already knew. He knew their name. He knew their address. And their mobile number too. He knew them. So the blood was not to tell God, Hey God, I'm a Jew. Or I'm a Hebrew. Because God already knew. The blood was more for the sake of the people. It was an expression of their faith in the man of God and the word that God was bringing. God already knew who his people were. So they put the blood on the doorposts of their house more for their benefit, not to tell God, hey God, I'm a Hebrew. It was more for them saying, God, I believe in what you're doing. I believe that if I put the blood of this lamb, the Passover lamb, God, you will protect me. You will come as a covering over my home. And the angel of death will not enter in it. It was more for the benefit of the people. And so all those who did it that night were divinely protected. They woke up the next morning and they walked in to their deliverance. They walked in to their freedom. The second and the third significant things that we see in the Old Testament about the blood was that of the Day of Atonement and the mercy seat in the tabernacle. The Day of Atonement was an annual day that God instituted for His people. He said on this day, the high priest would come. He would, uh, he would take a bull. He would kill the bull. He will take the blood of the bull. And he will go in. It was, that was the only day 
in that entire year that the high priest was allowed to get in to the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. Those of you who understand, understand the, the layout of the uh, tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, there was the outer court in which there was the brazen altar where the blood of the animals were put and where the offerings were made, the regular offerings were made. Then there was, in the same outer court, there was a laver, a water, where the priest would wash himself. And then there was an outer well. And when you get in past the outer well, you come into what is called the most holy place. And in the most holy place were three main items there. There were the candlesticks that always were burning. There was a table of sobret. And then there was an altar of incense that, was, that offered up incense unto God. And after the out, uh, most holy place was another whale. The whale of the inner court. The whale of the most holy place. And inside the whale, the second whale, there was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And God said, on that mercy seat is where atonement will take place. So once a year, the high priest would kill a bullock and he would go in all the way into the most holy place, sprinkle the blood at the mercy seat. He would come back and there would be two goats. One goat was, these, these were the sin offerings for the entire nation, the entire land. And he would, one goat will be killed. He'll take the blood of that goat and go back into the most holy place and sprinkle that blood again on the, uh, the mercy seat. He would come back and then he would lay his hands on the other goat and confess the sins of the people on that goat and that goat would be taken away by a man into a deserted place. So one goat became a sin offering toward God. One goat became a sin bearer taking the sins of the people away from them. And God said that as you do this, every, every, once annually, Leviticus, the 16th chapter, 30th verse, he says, For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The day of atonement. Every year, the priest took the blood into the most holy place and he put the blood on the mercy seat. Three important things, highlights from the Old Testament concerning the blood. The Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb. What took place on the Day of Atonement and the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. So if we, if we were to sum up what significance the blood had in the Old Testament, there are five key areas of the application of the blood that we see in this summary of the Old Testament. First, we see the blood was, uh, was, was necessary for or became instrumental for the atonement of sin. It was for sin offering. Second, the blood was necessary or used... In making covenants. The blood for covenant. Covenants were established through the blood. The blood was necessary for worship toward God. When they worshiped towards God, they worshiped God, they offered, they offered up sacrifices. The blood was necessary for dedication. The, whatever was touched by the blood was dedicated, consecrated unto God. And the blood brought protection and preservation. As they understood from the Passover lamb. It was the blood that preserved them and protected them. So with this backdrop, as God has set this whole thing up, when you come into the New Testament, what do we see concerning the blood of Jesus? First of all, when Jesus is introduced to the world, we see Him introduced as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb was a different Lamb. Because this Lamb was not brought by man. This Lamb was sent by God. This lamb was a different lamb. Because this lamb had sinless blood in it. 
the blood of this lamb did not represent the life of just a man. It represented the life of God. It represented the life of God. This was a different lamb that came into this world. This was the only lamb that belonged to the human race. That was a sinless lamb. No other human being who ever lived could be called the lamb of God or called a sinless lamb. The second interesting thing we see about the lamb, Jesus as a lamb, is this. The Bible says that he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Which means this, that even before God founded the earth, Jesus was already the lamb of God. Which means that God already looking down through creation, even before he created Adam, he looked down through time and he saw everything that was going to happen. He even saw that one day, a day would come when the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, would have to become the Lamb of God. He saw it ahead of time. You know, God didn't wake up in the Garden of Eden after Adam sinned and said, Okay, now I need to send one of us as a Lamb. Even before Adam was created, the Bible says Jesus was the Lamb of God from the foundation of the world. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.20, it says, He was foreordained to be the Lamb of God. Even before man was created, the Lamb was ready. Because God saw through time. And the amazing thing is this, that He still went ahead and created man. Amen. That even though He saw ahead of time that Jesus had to become the Lamb of God, he still went ahead and said, I'll create this race. That shows how precious each one of us are to the living God. Amen. Your life means something to God. Because He was willing to create you and create me. Even when He knew that there was such a great price had to be paid. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And what really amazes me as you come into the New Testament is this. As you go into the book of Revelation, Jesus is still called the Lamb on the throne. Which means there will never be a point in time, in eternity, where this one thing will be forgotten. It will never be forgotten. Forever, He will be the Lamb on the throne. In the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, the first three verses, it says, And I saw Him, the Lamb on the throne. Meaning, even in eternity to come, He will be remembered as the Lamb. Amen. So significant that even eternity will not be able to erase the reality of what Christ did on the cross. This was God's lamb for the sins of the whole world. His life was in his blood. And if he was to give his life, means he had to shed his blood. And so you and I know what happened. That he allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. He carried the cross all the way up to Golgotha. Where he was nailed to the cross and he was crucified. And through the shedding of his blood, he was giving up his own life for the sins of the whole world. For the sins of every human being, past, present, and those yet to come. Their sins have been paid for on the cross of Calvary. Now as you look into the New Testament then, and try to understand, so what does the blood of Jesus, the death of Christ on the cross? We are cleansed from all sin by that blood. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Nothing, nothing can wash away my sin except the blood of Jesus. 
The Bible says, though your sins might be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as white as wool. There's only one agent that can bring that cleansing. It's the blood of Jesus. The Bible says the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. It means that no matter what sin you and I have committed, whether it's small or whether it's big, no matter what our reaction to those sins might be, whether we are totally in a place where we say, you know, I can never be forgiven. I want you to know what the Bible says. That the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The atonement has been made. The blood has been laid down at the altar. And this blood cleanses from all sin. We are justified by that blood. Romans chapter 5 verse 9, the Bible says we are justified through that blood. What does it mean? It means this, that because of that blood which has cleansed me, I now stand before God, acknowledged by God as a totally different person, as a person who's been just as if I never sinned. Meaning I stand before God not just as, you know, I've just got washed. But I stand before God as somebody guiltless. No more guilt. Nothing to be ashamed of. Amen. Justify. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 11 sums it up like this. It says, you know, such were some of you. It talks about all kinds of wrongdoing. And it says, such were some of you. But now you are washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord. Not only have you been washed. But you've been sanctified, meaning you've been made holy. And not only have you been made holy, but you are justified, meaning totally guilt-free. No condemnation because of the blood. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has reconciled us to God. In Colossians 1 and verse 20, the Bible says that He has made peace through His blood that He gave on the cross. He has reconciled us back to God. He has made us at peace with God, which means we are friends with God. Amen. I want you to know that God's your friend, not your enemy. Amen. You know, sometimes we, 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 the way we relate to God, we relate as though God is our enemy. And He's waiting to shoot me down. Relax. He's made peace through the blood of His cross. You've been reconciled to God. Made His friends once again. There is no enmity between God and you. We've been brought near to God. Number four, we've been brought near to God. Ephesians 2.13 says, You who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near to God, brought in to the very presence of God. So much so, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 and chapter 1 verse 4, it says, You are now accepted in the beloved. Amen. Many of us have a lot of problems accepting ourselves. I think if you and I come to the realization that we have been accepted by God, it will become a lot easier for us to accept our own selves. Amen. God has accepted you. We've been accepted in the beloved as one of His own. We are accepted, brought near by the blood of Christ. We have boldness to enter into the holiest. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, Having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Meaning, 
In the Old Testament, there was only the high priest who could go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, so the most holy place, come before the Ark of the Covenant and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was so significant because God said, that is where my presence will dwell and at the mercy seat I will speak to you. But today the Bible says, every child of God has boldness to enter into the holiest of holies, to come to the place of the Ark of the Covenant, to come to the mercy seat, so that you can hear God speaking to you. Amen. Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The mercy seat is yours. Every day you can come and meet with God. And through His blood, number six, Jesus established a new covenant. Jesus said many places in Matthew 26, 28, He said, This is my blood of the new covenant which I give to you. And like the Abrahamic covenant, this covenant was ratified by God and God alone. Which means God will keep His side of the covenant. There is nothing from you and me to do. We just receive. We are just recipients of this covenant. That's it. You and I contributed zero to the establishing of this covenant. All we do is, God, thank you. I am ready to enter. I accept. I enter into this covenant through simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Through His blood, He has brought us into a covenant. And God is a God of covenant. He said in Psalm 89, 34, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. God is faithful. He can never deny Himself. I want you to know that no matter how far you've gone away from God, He's still keeping His side of the covenant. And part of His covenant is this, that His loving kindness will never depart from you. Though the mountains be removed, He said, yet my kindness will never depart from you. Amen. God will always stand by His side of the covenant. We are sanctified by that blood. In Hebrews 13 verse 12, we are sanctified. By the blood of Christ, which means because the blood has been applied, you and I are now holy unto God. We are consecrated, we are dedicated unto God. We are redeemed by that blood. Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. We have redemption through His blood. Now, the... Studying the Greek concerning redemption is, is, is really fascinating because the word, uh, uh, there are several different words used for redemption and you put them all together, you get the picture of this. The word as understood, redemption as understood in the New Testament is simply to buy back a slave from slavery and to restore that slave to their original estate. That is redemption. To redeem means to buy back. And we are redeemed. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The blood answers the enemy, the devil. And the blood tells the enemy, these people have been bought. These people are redeemed from your hold. They are no longer your property. They are now the purchased possession of God. And they have been restored to their estate as sons and daughters, as heirs and joint heirs of the living God. Amen. So that's why the blood is so powerful when we stand against the enemy. Because we are telling him, 
I'm a blood-bought child of God. I am God's property. The blood is what redeemed me from your hold. Because of the blood, Satan has no more claim over our lives. No more place in our lives. And no more legal access into our lives. Any entrance that Satan may have into our world is what we have given to him. Which he does not legally have right to. That's why the Bible says, give no place to the devil. You can give place to the devil if you want. But you don't have to. He has no legal entrance because the blood has redeemed us. Amen. We are the redeemed possessions of God. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He purchased the church with his blood. In Acts 20, verse 28, it says that he has purchased the church with his blood. How important is the church to him? He bought the church. Not only did he buy us as individuals, but the whole body was purchased with his blood. Amen. The church is eternal. The church is very important to the Lord Jesus Christ because he paid for it with his own blood. Amen. And the local church is the expression of that spiritual church which he purchased with his own blood. That's why you and I must hold the local church with high regard because it is the physical expression of that spiritual body. Amen. Many of us, and I'm just deviating a little bit, many of us date the church. You know, what if the church treats me well, I'll go with it. The moment the church doesn't treat me well, goodbye. We need to stop dating the church and understand the beauty, the grandeur of the local church. Because the local church is the physical manifestation of that spiritual church, which he purchased with his own blood. Amen. The blood cleanses. Our conscience from dead works. Hebrews 9.14 says we, that because of the blood, our conscience have been cleansed from dead works to serve the living God. Meaning, from now on, because I have embraced the blood of Christ, from now on, I no longer rely on my dead works before God. I am cleansed from that. Amen. It's no longer what I do. It's not my works that's going to bring me anything. It's not going to bring me anything before God. I'm cleansed. My conscience has been cleansed from dead works. You know how many of us still today, although we've embraced the blood of Jesus inside of us, in some way or another, we still rely on our works. You know, today I gave so much offering to God. Maybe God loves me a lot today. Maybe today, you know, I did a good thing for somebody. God must be really happy about me. Excuse me, the Bible says those of us who embrace the blood of Jesus, our conscience has been cleansed from dead works. Meaning inside me, my conscience is no longer relying on works which are dead. Now we must do good works, but we do it because we've been changed, not because we want to impress God. Amen. We no longer rely on good works because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed from our vain way of living. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 to 20. The Bible says, knowing this, that you were redeemed not with corruptible things as of silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. That you were redeemed from your vain manner of life, which was handed down by traditions from your forefathers. Here's what the blood of Jesus does for us. It 
disconnects us from the useless manner of life which was handed down to us by our forefathers. To each one of us, this might mean something slightly different. For some of us, it could mean just our own, the vain way of worship, to trying to worship God. All the religious traditions and all those meaningless things that we used to do. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ sets us free from that. For some of us, it could mean lifestyle patterns, sin problems, behavior things that was handed down from generation to generation to generation, and now it's part of us. The Bible says you are redeemed from this vain way of living, this useless way of living. You are totally free from it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It means even if my grand great grandfather was a drunkard, my grandfather was drunkard squared, and this is not real, okay? <laughs> I'm just making it up. And my father was drunk a cube. It doesn't mean that I have to become drunk or quadrupled four times. No, sir. I am redeemed. It stops here. The bloodline is a dividing line. The bloodline says, this is where it ends. Every vain manner of living, whether it's forms of worship, forms of lifestyle, whatever, ends here by the blood. We are redeemed from your vain manner of living, handed down by tradition from your forefathers. Revelation 12:11 says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So in our conflict against the enemy, when we testify with our mouth, what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us, it puts us into a place of experiential victory. We're already winners. But for us to walk in victory in our daily experience, here's the key. We testify with our mouth what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They testify, this is what the blood of Jesus has done for us. I remember this was sometime in 92, and I was a student in, in, in the United States, and I'd, just gone, I'd gone there in 1990, and uh, due to various things, I had unknowingly slipped into a time of depression. And so I think it was winter of 91, early part of 92, I was really in, in, in a state of depression, totally depressed. And that led to many other things. I, I, I became, uh, you know, lazy. I used to sleep probably 12 hours a day or more sometimes. Uh, I, I just totally disconnected from the world. I used to go to the lab, do work, come back, go to sleep. No interest in the world, nothing. I, just, I was totally in a state of depression and, and, and all these other things came into my life. Uh, just uh, being lazy and everything. And, and I, was, I knew something was wrong. And I didn't know what to do. I said, God, how do I come out of this? I have slipped into it. I need to come out of it. What do I do? And I, I remember calling the pastor of the church that I was going attending at that time. I didn't tell him what I was going through. I just said, please pray for me. When he prayed for me, I just felt something lift. I felt lighter. And that's when I really knew that what I was going through had a spiritual dimension to it. Yes, I was at fault for certain things which I should needed to take charge of my life. Uh, but I also understood there was a spiritual dimension to it. 
And so I began to read some books on, 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 on spiritual warfare and how to counteract the power of the enemy. And I remember this 4th of July, 1992. It was Independence Day there in the United States. And I said, you know, today is going to be my day of independence. And I remember waking up early that morning and what I did was simply this. I be, took a hold of the power of the blood of Jesus. I began to say, Jesus has totally set me free from the power of the enemy. And I began to declare with my mouth what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for me. The finished work. And so I began to resist. I said, I rebuke every spirit of laziness and slothfulness out of my life. I command these demonic powers to leave. In the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, they have no place, no hold or my life. And in those moments, in, in those few moments of prayer and engaging the enemy on the basis of the blood of Jesus, I received my deliverance that morning. And I was totally free. And I knew that a weight, a burden had been lifted off. All I did was to testify with my mouth what the blood of Jesus Christ had done for me. Amen. It's very powerful. When you and I can just begin to speak of what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for me. In the New Testament, we see three more powerful things about the blood of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, it says that Christ, our Passover, has been slain for us, given for us. This connects back to Exodus 12, the feast of the Passover. And it says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. That means what the blood of the Passover lamb did for those people in Exodus 12, the blood of Jesus Christ does for you and me today. What happens? God said, when I see the blood, I'll stand guard in front of your door. When the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your heart, God sees the blood and God passes over you. He stands God around your life. The blood of Jesus Christ brings divine protection. Amen. Because of the blood applied, because of the blood of the Passover lamb applied to your heart, you've got God standing guard at your door. The second thing we see about Jesus here in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 to 28. It again draws a parallel with the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. And it says, just as in the Old Testament, the high priest, year after year, used to go once into the holy place, offer the blood of the animals and come back. It says in Hebrews 9, It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to permanently remove sin. And therefore Jesus, taking His own blood, not the blood of another animal, but His own blood, he entered in to the most holy place, not here on earth, but in heaven. He entered into heaven with his own blood. Because it says in Hebrews 9, this tabernacle was only a type of the real one that's in heaven. This is only a representation of a real one. The real one is not this one on earth, but the real one is the one in heaven. And Jesus took his own blood and he entered into the most holy place in heaven once for all to obtain eternal redemption for all of us. 
Hebrews 9 says, there was only one day of atonement as far as heaven was concerned. It was this day that Jesus died. He took his blood, went into the most holy place, and made, obtained eternal redemption for all of us. Amen. And then in Romans, the third chapter, the 25th verse, the Bible says that God has set Jesus to be our mercy seat. It's drawing a parallel from the Old Testament. The mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled and it was over the, over the mercy seat that God said, I now forgive the sins of the people. The Bible says in Romans 3.25, Jesus became our propitiation. The Hebrew there, uh, literally, the Greek there literally means mercy seat. He became our mercy seat. In Him, you and I find atonement. We are reconciled back to God. We are pardoned, forgiven, cleansed, and made one with God. There are several other things in the New Testament concerning the blood of Jesus. Say, I'm not taking time this morning to do that. But when you go into the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, and this really, really touched me as I was studying this. In Revelation 19, it talks about Jesus coming in the future, coming to rule this world, coming in for the battle of Armageddon. In Revelation 19, verse 11, John says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Even when he is going to come as the king and the ruler to set up his kingdom on earth, the Bible says, he comes in a robe dipped in blood. That just amazed me. The blood is so important. That even when he comes to set up his kingdom, he comes in a robe dipped with blood. So powerful. Carries authority. It's saying this is the blood, not only of the Lamb of God, but of the King of Kings. This is the blood, not of the one who was slain, but it's the blood of the one who is going to rule over all on the earth. He comes in a robe dipped in blood. Amen. How important the blood is to our faith. So how do we experience the power of the blood of Jesus? Jesus made these statements in John chapter 6 verses 53 to 57. He said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Jesus said we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. What does that mean? It's not literal, of course. And neither is it the Lord's table. Because the Lord's table just is a sacrament that helps us proclaim His death. To eat His flesh and drink His blood is for you and me personally to embrace what He did on the cross. 
is for you and me to say, personally, I receive what He did for me in His body, and I receive what He brings to me through His shed blood. Embracing it in our hearts by faith. Amen. And I have to eat it and drink it, meaning I live every day. My sustenance on earth comes through that cross. It's not just a one-time thing that, you know, 25 years ago, I, get, I embraced the cross. But I eat His flesh. I drink His blood. I'm living every day of my life, drawing from that cross. Amen. And Jesus said, He who eats my bread, eats my flesh, and drinks my blood, he who has embraced what I've done for him through my death, he has eternal life. And He is the one who abides in me. Meaning He is really living His life on earth, connected to me. Amen. I want to encourage each one of us here this morning. We must embrace the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you eat His flesh and drink His blood? What does it mean? I'm not saying that we, you know, we are going to have the Lord's table in a few moments from now. I'm not just saying that we do this simple thing. But I'm saying every day, Every day, you're living your life based on the cross. Centered around the cross, because of the cross, based on what Jesus accomplished through His death on the cross when He shed His blood. You're living out of that. Jesus says, when we do that, we are abiding in Him. Hebrews 11:28 tells us that by faith, talking about the people who kept the Passover, by faith, He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. What was so important in the Passover? It was their faith that made it effective in their lives. Amen. No different for you and me today in response to the true Passover Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It is by faith. It is by faith. It is by faith that we receive. Amen. It's by faith that you say, I receive everything that the blood of Jesus Christ has brought for me. By faith. By faith. And when you testify with your mouth what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for you, it becomes effective. It's an expression of your faith. Amen.